What do you fear? According to a Time Magazine article, there are over 500 fears or phobias, as we call them, that have been named, identified, classified, and the list is growing pretty quickly. Let me give you um, some of what I consider to be the more unusual fears or phobia. Um, one is ablutophobia. That is the fear of bathing, of taking a bath. Yeah, I suppose uh, every little boy could use that excuse at one time or another, right? Or how about this one, arachibutyrophobia. This one is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Yeah, no kidding. Fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Anybody have that fear? Okay, just curious to see if anybody had that one, had not heard of that one. Here's another one, coprostasophobia. This is the fear of constipation. <laughs> yeah. That one will stop you right in your tracks. <laughs> Just saying, it will, yeah. Paganophobia is another fear. This is the fear of beards. Yeah, now if you fear beards, you're probably not going to attend this church long because like, look, here's some of our staff members. Yeah, you're not going to last long around here, are you? And how about this one? This is nomophobia. This is actually the fear of being without your cell phone. I'm not making this up. Apparently they've identified this as a phobia. Some people actually go through panic attacks if they don't have their phone with them. And it's interesting the origin of this one, the why, why it's called this. Nomophobia actually comes from no mobile phone. So they call it nomophobia. Yep, like I said, not making it up. Or how about this one? Homilophobia. This is the fear of sermons. They got a name for it. There you go. I suppose you wouldn't be here this morning if you had homilophobia. Or how about this one? Uh, homilolongophobia. That's the fear of long sermons. How many of you have that fear? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a number of you. A lot more than peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth, I see. I just made that one up, all right? That's not, that last one's really not a fear. But you know, some of the more common ones we've probably heard of, like arachnophobia, that's the fear of spiders. Some of you may legitimately have that one. Or um, acrophobia, this is the most common of all fears identified. It's the fear of heights. Some of you have that one. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. And then thanatophobia is the fear of death. And did you know that more people identify fear of public speaking as a fear than the fear of death, which means I guess people would rather die than stand up in front of people. But we're going to focus on that one today called the fear of death because we're beginning a new series today for the next five weeks. It's called Fearless. And we're going to be addressing the topic of fears. And we'll be looking at some fears. Perhaps you don't even consider them, but when you think about them, you go, yeah, they really are fears. So for example, like the fear of uh, insecurity or you know the fear of the unknown next week we're going to look at fear of pain we're going to look at that one we're going to look at the fear of failure throughout this series so we're going to come across some fears that maybe we don't consider to be fears but when you really think about it you go yeah yeah maybe that is one that uh, i would have now there are different kinds of fears and uh we need to make sure that we understand this because there can actually be good fear. You know that fear can be your ally. Fear, if it keeps you from harming yourself, is good, right? 
So maybe it would keep a child from crossing a busy street. Maybe it would cause you to quit smoking. Maybe it would help you strap your seatbelt on when you get in a car. Fear can be the wise choice. Fear can be your ally, in other words. You know, there was a, there was a guy who was standing before Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter said to him, have you done anything of outstanding merit in your life? And the man said, well, you know, there was this time where I was driving down the road and I saw this gang of bikers and it looked like they were giving this young lady a hard time. So I pulled over and I found the biggest, baddest biker of them all and I pointed my finger in his face and I said, you leave her alone or else. And Peter looked at the guy and said, wow, that's pretty impressive that you would do something like that. Uh, when did this happen? The guy said, oh, about a minute ago. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes if fear keeps you from harming yourself, it's actually the wise choice. And then, of course, uh, another kind of fear would be godly fear. Godly fear is referred to in the Bible. It's a healthy respect or reverence for God. It, it's sometimes called the fear of the Lord. But then there's also bad fear. Bad fear is unhealthy for you. Bad fear is what holds you back. Bad fear is what keeps you from doing something that uh, maybe you should do. So for example, a good way to distinguish whether or not it's good fear or bad fear is just to ask yourself a question. What does this fear produce in my life? And see what the results are. And that often can tell you, is it a healthy fear or is it an unhealthy fear? So for example, bad fear will keep you from reaching the potential God wants you to have. You know, bad fear will hold you back in a number of areas. Maybe it'll keep you from doing the right thing. Maybe it's because of peer pressure. You're afraid what your friends will think. So you do the wrong thing instead. Um, bad fear can keep you saying what you ought to say or need to say in a situation. And bad fear can keep you from trusting God. You know, fear can take different forms too. And sometimes these are subtle, so we don't see that the root What's driving this is fear. But for example, something like procrastination. Sometimes what's driving procrastination, what causes us to put things off, is fear. We're afraid of something, so we just try to put it off and don't deal with it. Or avoidance. Sometimes if we're avoiding something, what's really at the root of that is fear. And you know, Maybe it's something like you just don't want to be alone with your thoughts or something painful and you don't want to deal with it. So you just you know, stay busy, you watch TV, you're on your phone all the time. Whatever you can do to avoid dealing with it. Another one that the root could be fear would be like indecision. You can't make decisions. Oh, I don't know what to do, or I'm afraid of what somebody will think, or I'm afraid of what will happen if I make this decision. Indecision behind that can be fear. Um, even something like defensiveness. If you respond defensively, sometimes what can be there is what's driving out of fear. What will people think of me? Or I really don't want to, I'm afraid to deal with the truth about myself. But understand this, fear always costs you something. The wrong kind of fear will cost you something. So it can keep you from reaching your potential. It can cause you to lose perspective. It can rob you of your joy. But most importantly, fear will affect your relationship with God. Do you know what the number one command in the Bible is? And if you add it up, there's not even a close second to this one. It's this, do not fear. 
Do not be afraid. When Jesus was on earth, we have recorded that He said in one form or another, do not be afraid, 125 times. You know, He either said like, take courage or don't worry or don't be afraid, something like that. The second command that's recorded the most is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That occurs eight times. So why is fear addressed so much? Why does God tell us so much, do not be afraid? It's because this, when we are fearful, when we're afraid, it shows that we lack faith. So at the very core of fear, at the very core of being afraid, is a spiritual problem. So today, we want to look at the fear of death. Are you afraid of dying? And if so, I have some good news for you because there are some incredible promises to you that God has given us in the Bible. Let me start by just showing you one of the many times that the Bible addresses this topic. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just read to you something the Bible says about death and that we don't have to fear it. This is starting in verse 54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you read the Bible, you find out quickly that the fear of dying is not something that God wants you to live with. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus came into our world to reconcile us with God, to reconcile our relationship with God the Father, which has been broken by sin, Through Jesus' death, we are freed from the fear of dying and death, and we have the assurance of eternal life in heaven. God asks us to trust Him. So, I want to show you a story in the Bible this morning where some people were afraid they were going to die. Have you ever been there? Have you literally ever thought you were going to die? When... When I was in college, I went to college in Tennessee, a buddy and I decided to raft down a mountain creek. And it was a college decision, not a wise decision. (laughs) It was late springtime, and we'd had a lot of rain, so the further we went down this creek, it became a river raging rapids. And we were getting thrown out of the raft, we weren't wearing life jackets, you know, we were getting tossed around, sucked underwater, banged up against rocks and limbs. We probably should have just got out of the raft and tried to hike our way out of the woods. However, we were out in the middle of nowhere, and this predated cell phones, so I guess we thought our best option was just to hang in there, you know, keep going down the river. At one point, we began to hear something. It was a roaring sound. And when we looked ahead, the river just disappeared. That's not good, because it was a waterfall. There was no turning back at this point. I mean, the water was controlling, so no time to react, no time to bail out. And right before we went over, I looked down, and it was about a 10-foot drop, so we dropped. And imagine raging waters that you have no control over. The roar of the water falling was deafening at that point. 
I thought we were going to die. And we were both thrown out of the raft, sucked underwater. Fortunately, as soon as I surfaced, I saw the raft. I was right by it, so I grabbed hold of it, but I didn't see my friend. His name was Daryl, so I shouted his name. No response. Looked around again. I shouted again. No Daryl. Finally, he surfaced. He was breathing heavily, trying to catch his breath. He had been sucked under the water, and he was struggling to get back to the surface. Obviously, we both survived. But that scared the snot out of us. Now, what if I told you that Jesus put His disciples in the most terrifying situation of their lives on purpose? He intentionally put them in a situation that would cause them to experience fear like they had never experienced it before in their lives. Why would Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? I mean, does He have some sort of twisted humor? He just enjoys messing with people? Listen closely. Jesus put them in the most terrifying situation of their lives because He knows that fear is as detrimental as anything to our relationship with Him. Jesus put them in the midst of the worst storm of their lives, a storm in which they thought they were going to die because at the top of His agenda was that they would be able to conquer fear. So let me read you the story. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 35-41. to 41. As evening came, Jesus said to His disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with His head on a cushion. The disciples woke Him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then He asked Him, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey Him. This was a storm that people would talk about for the next 50 years. If you're in my age bracket, all I have to do is say, hey, do you remember the blizzard of 1978? If you were living in Columbus, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Or if I say, do you remember the flood of 2008? Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you were significantly impacted by that flood. Think of a situation of that proportions and then multiply it like times a hundred. Jesus' disciples thought they were going to die. This was a storm on the Sea of Galilee like none other. Now, what we're reading here was originally written in Greek. And the parallel account of this in another book called Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, calls this storm in Greek, it's really descriptive, it calls it a mega seismos. We recognize the word mega because we use it too. Mega means really big. And you may recognize the word seismos too. Have you heard of a seismograph? 
That's how we measure earthquakes, isn't it? This was a storm of earthquake proportions. Now, Jesus' disciples are used to being on the water. Many of them made their living as fishermen. In other words, this was not their first rodeo, but it was certainly their biggest. It's hard to imagine a storm of this intensity when you're on a boat on the water. So watch this short scene from the movie The Finest Hours about the Coast Guard. And I want you to feel how intense a storm on the sea can be. Intense, huh? So Jesus' disciples think they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. I mean, doesn't that seem a bit odd to you? I mean, it does to me. And it did to His disciples too. However, understand this. Jesus is coming off one of the busiest days of ministry. If you look back and read what had happened that day, He had taught thousands. He had fed thousands. He would healed probably hundreds. He is exhausted. And fishing boats back then had a little deck at the back or at the stern So he had curled up underneath this deck where he was protected and he had fallen asleep. Now how could Jesus sleep in the middle of a life-threatening situation? And don't miss this. The reason Jesus could relax in the middle of a life-threatening situation is because he already knew the outcome. There was no reason to be alarmed. Now, do we know the outcome to our situations? No, of course not. But we can know the one who knows the outcomes. And we can trust Him. And that's what Jesus wants His disciples to learn. I love the brutal honesty of their question to Jesus. Did you feel the emotion? It's more than a, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? It's more of a, don't you even care? that we're going to drown. You see what they're doing now? They're questioning whether or not Jesus cares. Does Jesus care? Well, we all know He does. But when you are fearful, your perspective of God is distorted. See why it's such a big deal to God that you don't live with fear? I think if I could pick just one event of Jesus' time on earth, to witness. I think this one might be the one. Once awakened, you know, he looks up. His eyes are still squinting because he's still trying to wake up. He rubs his eyes. He looks at the panic-stricken faces of his disciples. Rain is pelting against his face. He slowly gets up. The boat is rocking violently back and forth. You know, the sound of the rain, the wind, the thunder is deafening. And he yells, be still! And it was still. The disciples have been with Jesus for months, if not years by now. But they hadn't seen power like this before. I mean, to be able to speak the Word and have nature obey you, we would call that unprecedented power. So now, they're all sitting there in this boat in stunned silence. Their robes are soaking wet, not only from the rain, but a few of them have peed their pants. They were so scared at this point. 
And Jesus asked him a simple question. And this question is the key to unlocking the door to calming your fears. It's how you no longer fear death. And it's a simple question. It starts out, why are you so afraid? And the follow-up question is, do you still have no faith? And there it is. Faith is what overcomes our fear. What Jesus was addressing here was their fear. If they were going to reach their full potential as followers of Jesus, this had to be addressed. Fear has an adverse effect on us. It holds us back. It colors our view of reality and it makes us less objective. And it distorts our perception of God. Thus, it affects our relationship with Him. If Jesus' disciples could get a handle on this fear in the midst of the most stressful situation of their lives, when they thought they were going to die, then they could learn to trust Him in almost any situation. So what's their response? And you know, we read that after He calmed the storm, they were terrified. Now they're terrified because they are beginning to realize whose presence they're in. And they say, who is this man? Even the winds and waves obey him. They got it. That's it. That's the answer to our fears. It's trusting in God. Knowing who God is. And you know, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. And it works if you trust in God. That's our foundation. Trusting in and holding on to the promises God has given us. Remember that we said the most repeated command in the Bible, and it's the most common command of Jesus, was don't be afraid. Let me just quickly read you just a few of the quotes that Jesus gives. I'll give these to you one right after the other. Here's what He said. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in Me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus promised it. We just need to believe it. So let's get specific. How do you overcome the fear of death? And I want to give you three ways. Here's the first. Look to the past. What I mean by that is this. Look to the cross. When Jesus died, He removed the fear of death. Sin is what originally brought death into the world. When Jesus died, He paid the penalty for sin. He paid for our sins. Because those sins were paid for, we can experience eternal life when we put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. Romans 6.23 in the Bible puts it this way, for the wages or payment for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Suppose you can't afford to make your car payment for three months. And at that point, the bank's probably going to want to talk with you. And they may say, we're repossessing your car in 30 days if you don't make a payment. But let's suppose your rich Uncle Joe steps in and pays off the entire balance of that car. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? We could all use an Uncle Joe. Then, after he pays it off and he receives the title from the bank for that car, he gives that title to you as proof of ownership. 
If the bank comes back to you in 30 days and says, we're repossessing your car, you could say, no, there's been a misunderstanding. I don't owe on that car. Look, I have the title. And when Jesus died and paid the debt of our sin, the cross now serves as your title. Death has no power over you. So how do you put your faith in Jesus so you can experience this? It's simply a decision. A decision you make in your heart. And you know you can do that today if you've never made it. You can do that right now, in fact. Just make that decision in your heart. You just tell Him, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in what You did for me. Second way to overcome fear. Look to the present. You know, most kids have fears, many of which are irrational when you think about it. You know, fear of the dark. You can go into the room, you can turn the light on, you can show them that there's nothing in the room to be afraid of. The moment you turn the light out, they're afraid again. Or a monster under the bed. You can look under the bed and you can say, nope, there are no monsters under the bed. You can go to sleep now. But they still can't sleep. But what happens if you lie down in bed with them? Their fear goes away. And they're asleep in minutes, if not seconds. What was the difference? Your presence. The Bible promises that God is with us, that He is present, that He loves us through all of life situations and circumstances, good and bad. This is one of the most incredible promises in the Bible. It's Romans 8, 38-39. And as I read it, look what it says about both death and fear. Here's what it says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, first thing listed, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God's promise is that He is with you through all of life's circumstances, even death. Third way to overcome fear, look to the future. Several weeks ago, my Aunt Polly died. She was 94 years old, and she was ready. Um, Her husband of 72 years had died four years earlier. She was still sharp mentally. Um, She lived alone in an assisted living apartment. She had her share of aches and pains. She was 94. She began to fail physically in the last days and was admitted to a healthcare facility. And as in her last days, as she was struggling, her pastor came to see her. And he knew her well. Her faith was strong. So he simply asked her a question. He said, Polly, how would you like me to pray for you? And she hadn't talked much at all that day. She had hardly even opened her eyes, but in that moment, she looked at him and she said, pray that I can go see Jesus. He prayed that way, and in less than 24 hours, she did. When my dad texted me to tell me that she had gone to heaven, initially I was sad because she was an incredibly special aunt. I'll miss her, I think because I have so many good memories of her. When I was a kid, We used to go to her house for our family Christmases. And looking back, my memory of those family Christmases is just magical. And I could tell you so many good memories that my Aunt Polly made for our family. But I was also happy 
in that situation when I heard. More than happy. I was thrilled. I was thrilled for her. She was in the presence of Jesus and she was with my Uncle Bob again, whom she dearly loved. No fear of death. Her pastor had actually prayed that she could die. Where does that come from? How can that be? It comes from knowing what the future holds for you. Listen to what the person who has invited Christ into their life has as a promise for heaven. This is Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. As crazy as it may sound, you can actually look forward to death. What awaits you after you die if you've invited Christ into your life is so incredibly much better than what we can experience here on earth that it can turn fear into anticipation. Listen to the words of Psalm 116, verse 15. The Lord cares deeply when His loved ones die. How do you overcome the fear of death? Put your faith in the One who has the power to calm a storm just by saying the Word. There's a song that we sing that's called Overcome. A few of the words of the chorus of that song say, and for every fear there's an empty grave for the risen One has overcome. I have no reason to fear death because Jesus conquered death. Our band is going to sing that song now. And as they do, we're going to go ahead and take our offering. I think the song will also help us prepare our hearts and minds if you decide and take communion. You can stay seated for now. And then James will tell you when it's time to stand.